Happy New Year, Gauna members! We hope you had a wonderful Christmas and a Happy New Year. Welcome back to our first episode of 2022. In the spirit of the New Year, today's episode deals with forecasting and regulations that are sure to impact your businesses this year. We're joined first today by ITR Economics Vice President of Economics, Jackie Green. Jackie, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Steve. I'm pleased to be here. Jackie, what's the overall economic outlook for the gas and welding industry in 2022? The overall outlook really mirrors the macro outlook. And for that, we are expecting a general slowing growth in 22 and into 2023. And I want to be careful with that. It's slowing growth. It's still growth. It's just at a slower rate than you had in 2021. There's going to be ongoing labor issues. That's not going to go away immediately. We should see some easing of the supply chain issues, so that will be beneficial, but overall plan for slower growth. The past two years have seen a huge influx of federal stimulus money to combat COVID. Has that increased spending impacted your short or long-term outlook at ITR? The proposals changed the outlook when they came to pass. So we don't change our forecast based on what could be, we wait till it's actually put into action. The um, influx of cash had quite the impact on inflation rates and consumer spending. So once that actually came to be, we started changing those forecasts. The infrastructure bill that has had an impact on the forecast now that it's come to pass as well. But even that it's not across the board change on the forecast. It's very specific markets that are being impacted. And so we're very specific about which forecasts are being impacted. And that's for the short term. For the long term, it hasn't changed our big picture view. And frankly, part of that's because we already were seeing inflation as a long-term issue going into the 2030 depression time period. And frankly, increasing program spending like this really feeds into that outlook as well. So no, it didn't change our view. It really bolstered our view for the long-term outlook. Over the past year, ITR has partnered with GAUTA and other associations to produce a monthly webinar. GAUTA has made recordings of those sessions available on the GAUTA members only page. Can you discuss what the overall message of those presentations was and why it would be beneficial for GAUTA members to go back and watch past sessions? The biggest theme is planning for next year. Uh, next year is 2022, knowing what it's going to look like. Are you going to have enough capacity for 2022? I've been talking about slower growth. You've been hearing about slower growth from ITR. But if you are out of capacity in 2021, you're still likely to be out of capacity in 2022. So those are some of the things that are going on in those videos that you're seeing. And I highly recommend you watch uh, being aware of the labor pool, the supply chain constraints, just how to plan better and be more prepared for what's coming, not just for 2022, really, but to set you up for 2023 as well. Last question, Jackie. If you were in an elevator with a GAUTA member and they asked you for one big takeaway that they could bring back to their businesses, what would you say to them? Picking one is hard. <laughs> um, one minute, I would ask if you're sleeping well enough, because if you're sleeping well enough, chances are you have not taken out enough money to be investing in your business. Interest rates are low. There's a lot of growth ahead of you. 2022 is still growth. 23 is still growth, slower rate, but general growth. So have you invested enough in your business? Are you confident enough in your own future that you are leading your team through that? They're gonna be feeling scared at times. So things look slower than they were in 21. Lead with optimism and make sure you are investing in your own future. 
Is there anything else you wanted to leave viewers with as we enter 2022? I would say be prepared for change. There's going to be change coming. The labor market, we all know that's an ongoing issue. Uh, the supply chain, we've talked about that's going to be less of a problem, but it's not going to magically be gone. This is changing where people are looking for suppliers. They want to be better prepared in case this happens again. So make sure you have good relationships with multiple vendors and suppliers for your own self and see if there's opportunities you can find with people who are looking for more local suppliers of their own. Jackie, thank you so much for your time and your insight. We really appreciate it. We've got a great show lined up, so stick around right after a word from today's presenting sponsor, Weldcoa. Next up today, we're lucky enough to be joined again by GAUTA consultant Rick Schweitzer. Rick, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for being with us. Rick, one of the biggest hot button issues over the past several months is the topic of vaccine mandates. Can you give viewers the cliff notes on what those discussions have centered around? The Biden administration's policy is that everybody in the country should be vaccinated. And it's become clear that for good or for bad, there's a certain percentage of citizens who are resistant to that mandate. Um, as an employer, you're going to end up with a certain percentage, perhaps, of your employees who are unwilling or in some cases medically or, or for religious reasons unable to um, get a vaccine. Um, the Biden administration, in response to this resistance, has tried to use all of the power of the federal government to mandate vaccines. And they've done it in four separate areas, one for federal employees, one for healthcare workers at federal facilities, and then the other two that are applicable to some GATA members are uh, mandates for federal contractors and subcontractors, and then the OSHA emergency temporary standard for employers with more than 100 employees. A lot of these mandates continue to be tied up in litigation. As it currently stands, where are we? These are in courts of appeals throughout the United States. Depending on the statute that the um, mandate is, is established under, the appeal would either go to a court of appeals or to a district court, which is actually a trial level court. The OSHA standard uh, is being challenged in courts of appeals. And as I said, they're, they're in all 12 of the regional courts of appeals in the United States. Um, they actually had a lottery a couple of weeks ago with ping pong balls and selected the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals in Cincinnati to be the one court to hear all of these consolidated appeals as a single case because the issues are so um, uh, similar in, in all of the challenges. So far, we're waiting for the Court of Appeals in Cincinnati to issue a scheduling order. Are they going to require briefs? Are they going to have oral arguments? Who's going to get to argue? These are all sorts of difficult procedural questions that the court's dealing with right now. But prior to that consolidation lottery, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is based in New Orleans, issued a stay 
of the OSHA emergency temporary standard. They said that the president and, and OSHA did not have authority uh, to issue this kind of a healthcare mandate, which goes well beyond workplace safety. And in fact, regulates or attempts to regulate a, a personal health decision. Um, the Fifth Circuit also said that Congress doesn't have the authority to mandate this because it, it is uh, a decision to regulate um, the personal choice not to vaccinate oneself. And Congress only has authority to regulate interstate commerce. Um, the question is, is this commerce or is the decision not to get a vaccination commercial activity? Now, you could argue on the one hand that clearly um, going into the workplace without a vaccine is going to affect commerce because it's going to affect the labor force. It's going to affect perhaps the effectiveness of the workplace. Um, but the Supreme Court in 2012, in another case involving the Affordable Care Act, um, actually ruled that the decision not to purchase insurance, you'll recall that the Affordable Care Act used to have a mandate that everyone had to purchase health insurance. The Supreme Court said you can't mandate that uh, under the Interstate Commerce Clause, and that Congress doesn't have the authority to, to mandate a decision not to do something because it's not commerce. Um, it's not even a commercial activity. It's not even activity of any type. So I think that the Supreme Court will find that the decision not to get vaccinated for COVID is similar to the decision not to purchase health insurance. And they will then hold that Congress does not have authority under the Commerce Clause to mandate COVID vaccines uh, because Congress only has authority to regulate economic activity. Similarly, OSHA doesn't have authority delegated from Congress to, rec to uh, regulate um, the decision not to vac vaccinate as well. It seems like the way this is heading is that the federal government will not be successful in mandating employers must require their employees to vaccinate. What about private companies who decide to mandate vaccines for their employees? Has there been any guidance on that? The uh, EEOC has uh, stated that it is... Um, legal under the Equal Opportunity, Equal Employment Opportunity Act um, to mandate that your employees must be vaccinated for COVID. Um, so you do have the right to impose that as a matter of company policy. Um, I think though, given the fact that for good or for bad, there is this certain percentage of vaccine resistant employees, and everyone is having a hard time finding qualified employees these days, I think the better course of action is to simply strongly encourage your employees to be vaccinated. Um, if they, and you can provide time off to get vaccinated, you can provide paid time off to get vaccinated, you can provide time off if they have any reactions to the vaccination. Um, you could provide educational materials on the safety of the vaccines. Um, and, you know, if, if an employee still doesn't want to get vaccinated, then perhaps you can uh, provide some accommodations in terms of letting that employee work either remotely or in a, uh, an isolated space or with 
face masks and social distancing as best you can or plexiglass or uh, whatever you can do to protect your other workers. Is there anything else on this topic that you want to leave viewers with today? First of all, uh, uh, there's also the federal contractor mandate litigation. A, a court in Kentucky uh, issued a preliminary injunction against the application of the federal contractor mandate, but it only applies to contracts in the states of Kentucky, Ohio, and Tennessee, because those are the three states that challenged the contractor mandate in this particular court. Now, there's something like 10 other specific cases that are challenging the federal contractor mandate um, in courts all around the United States. And none of them have issued a decision yet on uh, requests for injunctive relief. So this Kentucky case is the first one, but it's clearly not gonna be the last. And I think the reasoning by the judge in that case is sound. It's very similar to the OSHA case in that the judge found that, that the president under the Federal Procurement Act simply didn't have authority to impose such a broad public health uh, policy mandate that the judge said absolutely nothing about whether or not vaccines work or whether or not vaccination is a good idea. He simply said the, the president did not have this authority. And that's the way these cases are going. This is not about whether vaccines are good or bad. The question is whether or not the federal government can mandate them. Now it's clear that the states individually can mandate vaccines. And in fact, um, the states have long been held by the courts to have what's known as police power, which is sort of a general health and welfare regulatory power. Um, the federal government, however, doesn't have that kind of same power. Um, there's, there's even a, a 1905 case from the U.S. Supreme Court that said that the state of Massachusetts was legally able to mandate a smallpox vaccine back then because there was a smallpox outbreak. Um, but the question is whether or not the federal government has that same authority. And I think the answer is no. Um, and I think for both the federal contractor mandate and the OSHA mandate for large employers, ultimately the courts are going to rule that, that the federal government does not have this authority. However, to get to your question about what else is there, um, I would say you can't rely on the courts at this point. If I were a federal contractor, obviously um, you have to deal with your contracting entity. And if they're insisting on a, a vaccine policy, then and you're not in Kentucky, Ohio, and Tennessee as of today, then I think you have to comply with their mandate as best you can. Similarly, if you're a large employer, um, December 5th is when the you're supposed to have a written policy in place, and January 4th is when you're supposed to have all your employees either vaccinated or submit to weekly testing. <sighs> OSHA, because of this nationwide stay from the Fifth Circuit, OSHA has said it's not implementing this uh, uh, large employer mandate at this time. So they're basically waiting for the courts. Um, I would be sort of prepared if ultimately the courts rule in favor of OSHA, even though I don't think that's where this is headed. Um, but I, I think that even if the courts finally, ultimately decide that the government has this authority, um, 
you're still going to have some additional time to put your policies in place. I don't think that the court's going to come down on day one and on day two, OSHA is going to say, all right, you have to comply as of today. Um, so I would simply follow this as best you can. Um, it's changing on a, virtually a daily basis. And there are all of these court cases, and sometimes we have conflicting decisions. Ultimately, I think these issues are going to end up in the Supreme Court. It's probably going to take several months to get there and to get the cases briefed and argued and to get a decision out. So in the meantime, I would sit tight. Um, and uh, unless you're doing this under your company policy or you have a federal contract that mandates uh, vaccination for your employees, then I would just take a wait and see approach. Rick, thank you again for your input on this important topic. We really appreciate it. Steve, as always, if GAUTA members have any questions about their particular situation or their particular state, um, please feel free to call me or shoot me an email. Uh, I keep track of this stuff on a daily basis, and I've been advising a number of GAUTA members about uh, how this affects them individually, so I'd be happy to talk to the rest of you as well. Today's member news segment is brought to you by Anthony Welded Products, four generations strong since 1958. American Welding and Gas Incorporated announced the acquisition of Sexton Welding Supply Company. Mississippi Welding Supply Company announced the winners of its 2021 Spark Young Minds Grant. This year's winners were all Wisconsin high schools. The winners were Cameron High School, Greenwood High School, and Spring Valley High School. Prism Visual Software announced Craig Morty as its new CEO. Dover Corporation announced the acquisition of Acme Cryogenics and Rego. The acquisitions are both geared towards bolstering Dover's clean energy portfolio. Welder Supply Company of Louisville unveiled its new logo. Kaplan Industries appointed Dave O'Connell as its Western Regional Sales Manager. Datacore strengthened its industrial gas offerings with its acquisition of Infonetics. Protective Industrial Products Inc. announced the acquisition of Bisley Workwear. Trackabout released its new brand identity with a modern logo and website. Tomco announced the formation of Phase 2, a division of Tomco Systems focused on producing cryogenic storage and shipping equipment to service the life science industry. Rick Hill officially retired as President and CEO of Catalina Cylinders. David Silva succeeds Rick as President and CEO. We wish Rick well in retirement. Nexair announced the acquisition of Logan Hagen Welding Supply. To read more about any of these member news items, or to submit member news of your own, read the full January 1st GAUTA Connection in your email inbox today, or by clicking the link in the description below. Kivani Group's new 6000 series high pressure regulators for cutting and welding applications offer the highest performance and longest service life in the industry. Kivani Group, wherever gas is used, we are there. Finally. We're lucky enough to be joined today by GAUTA's Women of Gas and Welding Committee co-chair, Sue Ryder. Sue, thank you for being with us today. I appreciate you asking me to be here. Sue, the Women of Gas and Welding Committee just became a formal GAUTA committee recently. Can you discuss that process of becoming a formal committee and what the mission of the Women of Gas and Welding Committee is? Well, I've been involved in this industry for a long time, probably working with our distributors um, within our products um, since 2006, probably. 
Um, so I started going to Gauta conventions um, way back. And uh, I remember, you know, the first one I went to, and I think a couple other women on the committee can admit to, there were probably at that time, 1200 people. And of those 1200, there were probably about five women, <laughs> which was okay. Um, so over the years, um, you know, getting to know some of the distributors and the owners and stuff, you start seeing the second, third generation. And some of them were asking me to, hey, they've got some women working for the company or their daughter. They're asking me and others if we could, you know, work with them, maybe mentor them a little bit. So that's kind of how the idea started because I started working, you know, working with them. So I think it was a 2000, I think it was 11. We had our first kickoff. It was in the Gata uh, National. And just, we got, it was uh, sponsored by a supplier and we had a cocktail party and had a huge turnout. And so it just kind of went from there. We established a formal leadership team in 2012. We actually went to Chicago, um, the leadership team um, within on the WDW committee, and we formed our mission statement. Um, We actually had somebody from Air Products uh, help build that. And we met for a day or two there to come up with the mission statement. So, um, and we can get into what that mission statement is. Basically, it was just to... uh, you know, help promote um, success of women within the gases and welding industry and to support them, network. Just, and it's funny because a lot of the men would say, well, we don't have a guy network. And it was like, this is already a guy network. And it was just more to help informally, informally to do that. And then that's how it, we got into other things in the scholarships and all that. So that's, when I say it's come a long way, baby, it's 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 come a long way. So again, starting in 2011 to where we are in 2021 now. So again, a lot of meetings, a lot of conference calls, a lot of discussions with GATA, the board, and now we are an actual committee within GATA. So you just touched on it. This is still a very male-dominated industry. Are there any misconceptions about this industry that the committee seeks to clear up? Oh my God, like I said, I've been in this industry 30 plus years <laughs> with air products and chemicals, and we're, we're no different. Um, it's very male dominated um, because you're, you, you think about the welding and gases industry. Um, you know, you're working, walking into steel mills and plants and um, within my company, though, it's very diversified food accounts and things like that. But this industry itself, um, it, even to attract females, I think there's a misconception that it's 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 dirty. It's not fun, you know? So to answer your question, yeah, I think, I think we're getting better and that's what we're trying to do is the awareness of it. Um, even getting women into the scholarship that we established for a female welder, um, just the opportunities there. But now the, the other scholarship that we're working on is more of a professional scholarship. Um, whether it's working for a major gas supplier or a major, equipment supplier or whatever for females. So I think you're seeing, like I said, there isn't, there's there's a lot more women in attendance um, at these things. And I think it's because of the awareness that not only ourselves, but others are trying to create. So you've mentioned the scholarship that the committee sponsors. Can you share with GAUTA members what that scholarship is, who qualifies and how GAUTA members can get involved? Okay, this last one that we just are gonna be launching um, is an educational grant. And that is through GATA. Uh, and that is open to all GATA members and their employees. And it will be to a female. And it will be uh, 
U of I, University of Innovation uh, Distribution. So that will be a, we'll send, an, we'll send a female from a GATA member or one of their employees to this, I think it's a three-day conference or so it's a more professional advancement. So that will be open. Uh, we're going to kick that off at the spring and uh, send that person in 2023. So we're just now establishing funds for it, getting a sponsorship so that we can continually do that. And right now we're talking about one, but as we're going through this, we're starting to get more sponsors. We might be able to do multiples. So I think that's, you know, where we're going. Are there any last thoughts you want to leave GAUTA members with before we go today? I mean, we're a committee that we want to be more inclusive than exclusive, but it's very difficult when you have, you know, I know some of the other committees have very large member, you know, we have a leadership um, committee uh, made up of suppliers and distributors, and uh, we're constantly changing that. So we want, as we move forward, we want to be more, like I said, as we go to spring management and the national meetings to include more women to want to participate. But we can only have so many on the actual leadership committee because you got can't have 25 people, but we want the participation from any of the females. And we're looking at um, males too. I mean, we, again, we don't want to be exclusive. We want to be inclusive as we do our, um, our events at the nationals. Those, those, that's one thing I want to get across. Those are always open to both male and females. I mean, because we do a lot of cool things, whether it's sailing, zip lining, um, it's not, it's geared toward to be more open because we need diversity. You know, this wasn't just a female thing because men, you know, we need diversity in all different types of things. Does that make sense? So I, I think we have not promoted that enough that we need, the, even though it says women of gases and welding, we want the men to, the, come, the males to come to our events and participate and give us ideas. And we're looking at actually putting a male on our uh, leadership committee. Sue, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. So much to all of the GAUTA members who tuned in today. We're extremely excited about the year ahead for GAUTA members, and we want to continue to bring GAUTA members the most relevant information. If there's a topic you'd like to see covered on this show, or if you'd like to be interviewed for a topic for an upcoming episode, please reach out to us using the email in the description below. We want to keep our finger on the pulse of the industry. Be sure to tune in next week for a great episode about hydrogen. Until then, for all of us here at GAUTA Media, this is Steve Guillermo signing off.